So my youngest son, Azariah, is four and a half years old. And the other day, he's hanging out with my husband, and he says, Dad, let's make a veggie tray. And my husband, he's healthy, and he likes things like this. And so he's like, oh, yeah, we can put cucumbers on it and tomatoes, celery, those little baby carrots. It'll be so great. And Azariah's sitting there just, like, intently listening to his dad. And then Azariah says, yeah, but first, let's call Grandma and see if she'll make a huge cake to put right in the middle of our veggie tray. And then if there's room, we can add a few veggies. That's how the boy thinks, and that's how I think too. I mean, the more sugar, the better, really, ultimately, when it comes down to it. I know it's not PC, I know it's not healthy, but it's how I roll. And Easter has some good candy. I mean, I don't know what is your favorite, but I love Cadbury eggs, I love Peeps, I love those malted chocolate egg things that are like giant whoppers, but better somehow. Okay, like there is so much good candy. And as kids, my brothers and I, we would like hunt for our Easter baskets, and then we would broker in-depth negotiations to trade for the optimum candy amongst the siblings. All of that, of course, would have to take place after church, but there's just like a lot of good options this time of year. Now, in a few days, Christ followers around the world are going to make an absurd declaration. People who follow Jesus are going to say something that quite frankly is crazy. They're going to say that they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They're going to say that they believe that Jesus was dead, buried, after having been executed, and that somehow by his own power that he rose himself up from the dead. And we're going to gather Christ followers all over the planet and we're going to sing about that and we're going to shout about it and we're going to teach about it and we're going to talk about the very fact that we believe Jesus was dead and then he lives again. Now that is such a crazy statement that sometimes people just skip right by it. They just skip over it because it's so insane to think someone died and then rose them own self up from the dead that it's easier to just not think about it and just sing about it and, and, and kind of envision it like a legend. But I'm here to tell you tonight that that is absolutely 100% what I believe. I believe that Jesus died was buried and then rose himself up from the grave. And I think it's important that we don't skip over that this year. That we actually stop and we talk about what does that actually mean? That Jesus rose himself from the grave. How do we know that's true? Because if it's not true, all we have is a guy that made a lot of profound teaching points and did some miracles and then died. The fact that we believe that Jesus rose himself from the dead is what makes him go from like cool dude with some profound stuff to say like Martin Luther King or something into God. That's a huge jump if we don't know for sure that he rose himself from the dead. And so I wanted to spend some time tonight literally looking at that. And I can find a ton of Christian Bible-believing scholars that, of course, agree with me. Why wouldn't you, right? But what about people who don't actually believe the Bible is true? 
What about secular historians or non-Christ following people that are just investigating whether or not it is really possible that Jesus rose from the dead and what is a reasonable conclusion? So I read tons of their articles and their perspective and here's what it came down to. First thing that happens is that Jesus was hanging on a cross, right? Heard about the cross a billion times. This time of year, people like to bring out the cross and talk about the cross. So Jesus is hanging out on the cross with a criminal on his right and a criminal on his left. And he breathes his actual last breath on the planet. And he dies first before the dude on the right and before the dude on the left. And then everybody's watching this execution kind of go down. And it's, they're getting annoyed. It's taking too long. It's inconvenient to them how long it's taking these guys to die. And so they decide to speed up the process. And that's where we pick up the story in John 19. It says, but when they, the soldiers, so the soldiers who were charged with carrying out the execution, came to Jesus and found he was already dead. They did not break his legs. So they decided we're going to speed up the execution of these three guys by breaking their legs so that they can't lift their body up on the cross to take a good breath anymore and they'll suffocate faster. Creepy. But when they came to Jesus, they decided, you know what, we don't have to break his legs because he's already dead. He can't push himself up any further to take another breath because he's already dead. So instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. So, Will, I'm going to use this spear to pierce you for just a second. Figure, figure I'm not going to kill you. Don't worry. So the soldiers took the spear, and this is what they did. They pierced him in a very specific spot right here, and that's on his side. And the idea was to go up through the rib cage, through the lung, and into the heart. That's what they were trying to do. And basically, it was the equivalent of when you kick your brother to see if they're sleeping, right? They, like, came up to him, and they're like, you really dead, man? And they, like, poked at him, and then they pierced right in through that. And it's super important that we understand that because then out of that hole comes blood and water. Now, when you bleed, you get a paper cut or something, do you ever have blood separate from water? No. Because if you did, you would be dead. That's literally what it means. And this is important because there's some people out there that say, well, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. He passed out from the pain and then he woke up later. That's how some people explain away the resurrection of Christ. They're like, oh, it was so painful on the cross, which don't get me wrong, it probably was. It was so painful on the cross that he just passed out. But this tells us, this verse lets us know that they pierced him in the side and blood and water came out. And that's how they knew that he was dead. And I would know you were dead if I saw your blood separating from the water within your body. That's a very clear sign, medically, scientifically. It was recorded in scripture thousands of years ago. Before they really even understood all the science of it, they were able to see that. So we know that Jesus was dead. Then the second thing that comes, becomes apparent is they then took his body off the cross. So now there's somebody lifting down a dead body. Now do you think if you were holding a dead body, I don't know, maybe you had some kind of ladder situation, the body's sort of flopping on you, do you think you would be able to clearly tell if the body was dead 
or more unconsciously? I mean, I think that would be fairly obvious that the person was dead. I don't feel like you could fake that. So the soldiers are taking down the dead body. The soldiers have a super vested interest in not screwing up the execution. Obviously, it's their job. They're going to get in huge trouble if this guy who the Romans and, and the Jewish people have decided is causing trouble. They don't want to be the dude on duty that lets the guy get not executed. So as they're taking his body down off the cross, they're very aware of the guy being dead. They're right there. And then it says that a certain man named Joseph of Arimathea asked the Roman ruler for the body. And he was helping take that body down. And he was like a local kind of middle range famous guy. Someone everyone knew. He was on the wealthy side. And he was also a member of the Jewish, kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court. And so this guy would sit in there and he would give wisdom. And all the local people knew him. And so they watched him take down Jesus' body with the soldiers and carry Jesus' body to the tomb. And the tomb where Jesus' body was laid was actually Joseph's of Arimathea, his tomb. Like he lent his tomb to Jesus. And the idea was that Joseph was a secret follower of Jesus. He wasn't really, he wasn't like one of the 12, one of the apostles or anything, but he secretly liked Jesus, but he was afraid to let on that he liked Jesus. We'll just read it from the Bible. John 19, it says, Joseph of Arimathea was one of Jesus' disciples. He had kept it quiet though, because he was afraid of the Jewish leaders. But now he asked Pilate, that's the Roman guy, the Roman leader, to let him have Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission and Joseph took it down from the cross. And so then he took the body to the tomb and he laid it in the tomb. And then there was a giant stone, like massive stone, much more large than the, like a beanbag that we've got, but stone, so heavy to move, right? Rolled in front of the tomb. Now, in our day, we bury people in holes in the grave, or we like burn their ashes, and we put them in an urn, and then we sprinkle them. Back in the day, they, they wrapped people like mummy style, and then they put them in tombs or caves. And that's what Joseph of Arimathea was known to have. He was a wealthy man, and everyone locally knew where the dude's tomb was. It was like an impressive tomb. So everyone was aware, oh yeah, that's the tomb belonging to the family of Joseph of Arimathea. We know where it is. It would be a common thing. It's like knowing where a cemetery is in our day. And so they, de they decide, the Jewish leaders, the religious people, they become really worried. Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has been gaining followers. Jesus has been um, performing miracles, and they ultimately, these religious guys had Jesus executed, but now they start to remember some stuff, and they're like, oh yeah, when Jesus was walking the earth teaching and junk, he said some crazy stuff, like, I'm gonna raise myself from the dead. And so the religious leaders got nervous, and they said, we need to make sure nobody sneaks in here and steals his body, because that would be bad for us, because people would be mad at us that we killed God. And so they, they come up with this plan that they're going to get some soldiers. We'll read about it. In Matthew chapter 27, it says, the religious leaders are talking. They said, sir, we remember while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give an order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he's been raised from the dead and that this last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make this tomb as secure as you know how. 
So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So these guys, now there's some soldiers out front of the tomb for three days, and it's their sole job to guard the tomb from anyone stealing the body. There's also a seal upon the tomb that lets everyone know not to mess with it. So a Roman seal, like a governmental seal, would be like what you imagine. Like when there's a crime scene and there's like a seal of tape and you can tell if it's been cracked. Similar. Usually made of wax and also stamped with the governor's, or in this case, Pilate's, seal of governmental approval. And the premise here was that anyone who goes in, it's going to have to deal with this government official. So this is marked, it's labeled, and it's now guarded with soldiers. Now let's imagine you're that soldier. Is there any chance you're going to let a whole bunch of stinky fishermen somehow get past you, break open the seal, remove a ginormous rock from in front of it on your watch? Because if you do, you're probably going to at minimum be fired, but even quite possibly executed. So these soldiers have a huge vested interest in making sure nothing crazy goes down. So somehow Jesus raises himself from the dead. That's what we believe happened. His, he comes, the Bible says that he did, first he, like, he, he died, he descended into hell, that he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave from the power of the enemy, and then he rose himself from the dead. Now what that means is his body, which was beaten and bloodied and pierced, that he came back, his body physically came back to life again. And he came up out of the grave. The stone rolled away, and there he is. Now, the first people on the scene to witness the fact that the tomb is empty is a bunch of women. Now, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, as I myself am a woman. But in this day and age, a woman was not allowed to testify to the truth of anything. It was a little sexist, to say the least, right? Like, if you were a woman, you couldn't stand up in court and say, that is my child. It was not considered valid testimony because you were too naive as a woman and you could be misled. So, oh, serious. <laughs> Only men could stand in court or give testimony that could be respected or trusted. And so if you, by chance, were one of the disciples and hypothetically you caused this elaborate hoax and stole Jesus' body so you could say he rose from the dead and get famous or something, who do you suppose you would send to discover his resurrection? A man or a woman? A man, obviously, because no one would believe a woman in this day and age. But the first people to discover that Jesus' body was miraculously missing from the grave was a bunch of women going there. And, and they, they saw that the tomb was empty, and they actually saw the resurrected Jesus first. And Jesus knew these women, and these women knew Jesus. And they had a conversation, and Jesus showed them his body. And then Jesus said, hey, run tell Peter and John that I'm rose from the dead. So the women, like Mary, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, that whole thing. So Mary, they, they run and they get Peter and John because they know, Mary, they know if we testify, if we say we saw Jesus resurrected and his body out of the tomb and he's walking around alive, they knew it wouldn't count for anything. 
So they run and they get Peter and John, and Peter and John come, and in John's gospel it specifically says that I, John, outran Peter, which I just find funny. Like, why did you have to note that for all eternity, that you were a slightly faster sprinter to the tomb? But anyways, I, John, outran Peter to the tomb, and I saw that Jesus' body was resurrected, that there was no body in the tomb, that the tomb was empty, that the soldiers had left the tomb. If there was a body snatcher stealing situation and you were on guard, would you leave the tomb? No. You would be there gathering evidence, collecting evidence, but they were gone. Instantly, they like fled. Why? Because they saw a supernatural occurrence going down. Okay, so now this is the next crazy thing. Nobody argued that the tomb was empty. Everyone, people that liked Jesus, people that hated Jesus, people that followed Jesus, people that thought he was a fraud, everybody agreed that the tomb was empty. Nobody said, oh, no, 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 no. Y'all got the tomb confused. You thought this was Joseph of Arimathea's burial cave for his family? You're, you're ridiculous. It was this one on the other side of the tree. Let's roll the stone away. Oh, look, there's the seal. Oh, the soldiers are still there. Nobody said, oh, wait, the body's still in the tomb in that era. Instead, everybody said either he's resurrected or they claim someone stole the body. That was the only other theory ever put forth in, in ancient history in this era as it was unfolding. Why? Because if anyone claimed at the time that the body wasn't resurrected then someone would have said, well, go get the body then. And no one could ever produce the body. So then that leaves, okay, let's explore, like, was the body stolen, okay? There's kind of three big groups of people that could potentially have a vested interest in stealing the body. The first people could potentially be the Jewish religious leaders. Like, did they go steal the body so that the disciples couldn't steal the body or anything like that? Well, they already, we just read the verse a few minutes back in uh, Matthew 27. They already said that, that if the body turned up missing, it was worse for them. So it wouldn't make sense for them to have st stolen the body. But even if they did steal the body, and then the disciples started claiming Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus was getting more and more power and more and more famous, don't you think they would have brought out the body and been like, all right, we stole the body. Sorry about it, everybody. We don't want Jesus to be this famous anymore. We stole the body. Here it is. And unwrapped them and been like, everybody take a look. We, we. No. They never produced a body. They never claimed they stole the body. They completely rejected that theory. And they pointed the finger at someone else. So that's one big group of people. Who else could have stolen the body? Because it couldn't have just been like three drunk guys. Because seriously, it was, it was sealed with a guard of soldiers many soldiers at the tomb. So the second big conspiracy could have potentially been the Roman Empire stole the body. So they like went in, they removed their own guards, they killed the Jewish people that were guarding there, they, they like somehow took the seal, got the body, did the whole thing, and they took the body, okay? If that were the case, that would be against their best interest because Rome wanted one king, one Caesar. And as long as Jesus was alive, people were following a second king that was threatening to them. That's why they had him crucified in the first place. But if his body came up missing from a Roman perspective, 
that would backfire. That would make a second king. That would make a king of a nation that Rome couldn't kill. And that would be the exact opposite of what Rome was trying to accomplish. It would show that they're powerless, right? So that leaves the disciples. So let's say the disciples stole Jesus' body. If that were the case, um, what would they have to gain by stealing Jesus' body? If they stole it, they would know he wasn't raised from the dead, right? They would, they would, they would be admitting to themselves that everything that had happened in the last years of following Jesus, all those miracles, everything was like fraudulent somehow. They would have to admit that to go get the body, to steal the body. But they never admitted anything like that. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, this is the Apostle Paul, and this is what he's testifying to. He says, I pass on to you what is most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. So the early Christ followers, they thought it was essential that we believe not only did Jesus die, but that he rose from the dead. They think that's critical. So he goes on, verse 5, it says, he was seen by Peter. Who's he was seen? Jesus, right? Jesus was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all of the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Okay, so now we have, we add all these people up, 550-ish witnesses that claim men that were, because women didn't count, sadly, in this era, they did not count the women, but 550-ish men who claim to have physically seen Jesus walking around. And their claim was that they saw him in flesh and blood, that, that some of them saw his nail scars, some of them touched his nail scars, and, and almost 550 people physically saw him walking, talking, eating, and or touching, hugging, etc. Okay, so if the disciples stole the body, would they have made that claim? If we're being skeptical, maybe. But would they have made that claim and, and been sentenced to death themselves over it? Because of the 12 apostles that claimed they saw the body, all of them, 10 of them, went on to be executed for their faith in Jesus, for their claim that he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. That's why they were executed. So if they stole his body, would they have followed it through to the point of their own death? Like, I would have think somebody... Somewhere along the way, we went, wait, 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 wait. Me and John Mark, we stashed the body, guys. Don't, please don't behead me. These guys were beheaded. They were crucified. They were crucified upside down. The one guy that didn't die, like I said, they all died. And then I was like, oh, wait, actually, the apostle John didn't die because he was boiled alive in oil and lived somehow. So it's not like he didn't take his fair share of licks. He was whipped and beaten and boiled alive, but he lived through being boiled in oil. 
So these guys, these men, believed so fervently that they had seen Jesus be crucified, die, and rise himself from the dead, that they themselves died to teach and defend that fact. If they were lying, somebody would have went, no, 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 no. It's back at Mary's house. We dug a hole, man. Just let me off. Get me down off this cross. Get me out of this oil. But they never did it. They saw it happen, and they believed it, and they testified to it to the death. But just because they think they saw it doesn't mean they saw it, right? So let's just say, okay, let's say they didn't steal the body, but maybe they were, they were lying. But if they knew they were lying, they wouldn't have taken it to that extreme, right? Well, what's another possibility? Could the disciples and all 550-ish people who saw Jesus' body, could they have hallucinated? That's a theory that's out there that there was like a hallucination. Okay. Um, groups of people don't have the same hallucination. Like, I don't know, maybe there was a giant bonfire and someone threw some weeds on it, right? And everybody's tripping a little. And, but say that goes down, does everybody see the same vision? No. Like, you all see your own thing. But we have 550 people that say, I saw the same thing as you. So therefore, we're not tripping on something. We saw something. So they either lied or they hallucinated, which doesn't actually make sense, or they actually saw a resurrected Jesus. And these men were so convinced that they actually saw a resurrected Jesus that they took that to the grave, to their own grave. And not a nice grave, a deadly, bloody, disastrous, martyrdom grave. Many of them watched their own families, their own children be executed for their belief in the resurrected Jesus. Now, nobody cared if all these men said, yes, Jesus did miracles. Yes, Jesus was a great teacher. Yes, Jesus was awesome. What bothered Rome, what bothered the religious teachers was that they said Jesus rose himself from the grave because that changes his status from super cool, important teacher to God. There's a huge difference. So 2,000 years later, why does it matter to us? Why does it matter that we believe that Easter is really resurrection day? Why does it matter that we, we are celebrating the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? Because we're saying Jesus isn't Martin Luther King Jr. We're saying Jesus isn't the same as Muhammad or, or any of these other historical preachers, even the same as the prophets in the Old Testament. We're saying, no, 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 Jesus isn't a good teacher. He's not a great guy who did miracles. We're saying Jesus is God when we say he resurrected himself from the dead. Now, Jesus' body was missing because he rose from the dead, and this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Jesus predicted it before he died. Matthew 17, it says, as they were regrouping, meaning the disciples, as they were regrouping in Galilee, Jesus told them, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed to some people who want nothing to do with God. They will murder him, and three days later, he will be raised alive. The disciples felt terrible. 
That's such a weird verse to me. First of all, Jesus is talking in the third person. That's awkward. He's talking about himself with the title Son of Man, which is a nickname for God. And he's saying that this is what's going to happen. It's like me when I, if I were ever to say, and, and JL is going to go get some Chick-fil-A right after the service, and JL is going to like it, and it will be delicious to JL. That's weird. That's what Jesus is doing. He's talking in the third person, and he's saying they're going to arrest Jesus, they're going to murder Jesus, and then he's gonna, Jesus is going to raise himself from the dead. He's, he's predicting what will happen, and he's trying to state it so clearly about himself. It's a little weird, but I'm going to roll with it. And then I also love the last line, the disciples felt terrible. <laughs> okay, it's like, okay, all right, guys, Joe's going to die tonight, everybody, and then we all feel sad, right? I mean, that's just creepy, right? That's what Jesus just did. He called it out in the third person. It's weird. And then, and then everybody felt terrible. It's just such a strange line in Scripture. But, but this, Jesus predicted this was going to happen, and then later it happened. He died. He was murdered. He was executed, however you want to call it. And then he rose himself from the grave. And it's so important that we believe that because Jesus made a claim about himself. He said, I am the resurrection, and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And so not only does Jesus have the power to raise himself from the dead, but Jesus has the power to raise us from the dead. And that really matters tonight because there's things in our life that feel dead. And we need Jesus' power in every area of our life. And if we just think, oh no, he's a cool teacher and we sing about him and stuff, that's not the same as acknowledging, no, 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 he's God. He died on a cross for our sins, and then he rose himself up from the grave. And so we look at these familiar elements this time of year, the cross, the, the spikes that they drove into Jesus' hand. We look at these familiar things, and we know the story that he, Jesus was in the garden, and he was praying, and he was crying out to God, and he was praying passionately, and soldiers came, and they arrested him. They falsely accused him of all kind of thing, but they actually couldn't even find enough witnesses to get their stories enough straight to really convict him in court. And so they decided, we're going to take this guy, we're going to take Jesus to Pilate, the Roman leader. And we're going to say, basically, we want to have him killed. Will you do it on our behalf? And Pilate sees through it. And Pilate says, you guys are acting all crazy and jealous of this guy because he has more followers than you probably. I don't want to do that. I think he's innocent. And the, the Jewish leaders get worked up. And so they decide, you know what? Pilate says, I'm going to just have the guy whipped. I'm just going to whip him for you. That should, like, pacify you. You know, he hasn't really done anything. But if it's really making you that mad. And so they, Pilate sent Jesus to be whipped. And this is kind of a replica that we made of what a whip would have looked like. And it, as you can see, it has leather straps on it. And it has multiple, um, I don't know what you call these, threads to the, to the whipping. And then tied inside them are sharpened pieces of metal and glass and rock. And so when they whipped people back in this day as a punishment, they would take this whip, they would go full strength, a soldier, on the back of a person, and they would like, I'm afraid to fling it because there's pieces of glass in it, but they would like fling it up over, down on the back of the man, and they would scourge him, and then the, 
the rock, the sharpened rock and the glass and the metal would dig into the person's back and be stuck there. And then they would pull it out, pulling out huge chunks of flesh. And so Pilate said, you know what? I'm not going to kill the guy. I'm going to have him scourged. I'm going to have him whipped with a whip like such. And, and it was determined by the Roman government that no man could live through 40 lashes, 40 scourges. So we will only whip a person 39 times. Because 40 would certainly kill him. But 39, he's got a chance to live. Maybe if he's a decent person, he'll live through it. And so Pilate sent Jesus to be scourged 39 times. And then his back was shredded. He was bleeding. And he was brought back to Pilate. And he stood in front of the crowd and in front of the religious leaders. And Pilate said, there you go. I scourged him. And then he said to the people, I'm going to set someone free to celebrate because it was a holiday time for them. He's like, I'm going to set someone free. Do you want Jesus, the guy that's been teaching and doing miracles that I just whipped for you for some weird twisted justice reason, injustice reason? Or do you want Barabbas? And Barabbas was known to be a serial murderer. He actually underwent trial and was convicted. And the Jewish leaders convinced the people to chant for Barabbas. And Pilate was stunned. They thought, why would the people call for a known murderer to be released instead of this man that had been doing miracles and teaching about God? That makes no sense. It was kind of, they kind of shocked him. So Pilate quieted the crowd again and was like, no, I'm not killing the guy. But the people kept chanting and chanting and chanting for Barabbas to be set free and for Jesus to be executed through crucifixion. Pilate was so convinced that this was a political ploy, he had his people bring out water. And in front of the crowd, he washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I wash my hands of responsibility for this man's death. This is unfair. This is unjust. This is a political move. I'm not involved in this. But if you want him executed, I'll execute him. And he washed his hands of it, and the crowd because of the prompting of the religious leaders, continued to just chant, execute, crucify, crucify, which crucifixion was the legal form of execution in the Roman government at that time. So now Jesus, normally you wouldn't endure both punishments. You wouldn't be scourged and crucified. You would typically one or the other. But Jesus had been scourged because Pilate thought that's going to be enough, then I'm going to let him go. But then we find now Jesus is, is to carry the cross on his back up the hill, right? And if you've read the scriptures or you've heard the story or you've seen movies, you see that Jesus is like in way worse shape than the other two criminals, right? Like those guys look like they're lugging the cross up just fine, and Jesus looks like he's barely making it. The reason for that is the other criminals, they, the criminals weren't scourged. They were just executed. But Jesus has his back in just sharp, there's glass, there's rock, there's metal, there's all this stuff. And he's carrying a giant cross up a hill and he's passing out because he's lost a significant amount of blood by this point. And so at some point up the way to the spot of crucifixion, the Romans select some random guy from the crowd. They're like, you, come carry the cross. And the guy's like, whoa, I'm not involved in this. Don't get me confused. But they force him to physically carry the cross partway up the hill because Jesus is physically unable due to the punishment he's already endured. They get to the top and then they crucify him to the cross. That means they take 
a spike and they drive it through his hands and they drive it through his feet. And, they, and then they hang the cross for all to see. And they fasten a sign to the top of the cross that says, King of the Jews. Because that's what he was being accused of. He was being accused of being the king of the Jews. And so they crucified him. And fairly quickly, Jesus breathed his last on the cross. Very quickly. Because he'd already been scourged. Because he'd already lost that blood. And he died. And that's when the soldiers pierced his side. And friends, as we go into this week where we're commemorating, we're remembering, we're celebrating, we're kind of supposed to be thinking through these events in Jesus' life, I don't want us to just go on with the week and show up on Sunday and get some candy and be like, oh yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, hallelujah, and sing a song in church with our family. Like, I want us to really think about it. I want us to really envision what it was that Jesus went through and why. And I want us to recognize when we wake up on Sunday morning that, that it's not just a parlor trick. It's not just a legend or a tale that gets told. It's a truth that Jesus rose himself from the dead. A truth so sacredly held for generations by Christ followers that they, that they gave their lives to guard that truth. A truth that I believe with all of my heart. Because I've seen the resurrection power of God in my life. I've seen the miracle working of power of God in my life. And I, and I hope that for all of you, as we go into this week, and I hope that you take some time between now and Sunday and you really think about it. You really envision it. You read in the Gospels. You read the story where it's recorded of what Jesus endured and what he went through. And I hope that when Sunday comes, that your heart is prepared. Because you can't just celebrate Easter without mourning a little bit this week. Like I know we all know how it ends. But it's good and right to go through the process and, and picture and envision and think and consider our role. What would we have done? Would we have been in the crowd saying, crucify, crucify? Would we have been like a secret follower that snuck his body to our family too? Like, where would we have been? How would we have acted if we were there when this went down? We should contemplate and ask ourselves these critical questions. And maybe you're here and you're like, eh, I've just kind of thought it was like a legend. Like the legend of Easter. Consider this year the truth of the resurrection. Let's pray together. God, we love you, that you would love us so much that you, Jesus, would come down, that you would live a perfect life on earth, that you would teach us about God, that you would allow yourself to be arrested and falsely accused and scourged. You could have called 10,000 angels any time to stop the hand with the whip, but you didn't. Instead, you endured it. You heard people just like us shouting, crucify, crucify. And yet you loved and you forgave. And you gave up your life willingly when you could have spared your own life. And you died and you were buried. And then to demonstrate that you had total power, total dominion, you rose yourself from the dead. Jesus, we, we acknowledge that. We Thank you for that. 
Our lives are forever changed because of that. We want you to know this resurrection week, we believe that. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening at 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.